0: Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is John Ziegler, and I am uh, the pastor here at Trinity Northside. Glad to have you worshiping with us this morning. We are in an exciting moment in the life of our church. We are re-gearing up for mission in our city, and so we're building out a new space for worship and mission over on New Peachtree Road in Shambly, just down the road here And we're going to have a new name, and we're going to have a renewed vision for our parish and for our city. And it's kind of a groundbreaking, foundation-laying kind of moment. And so in the month of September, we're talking about four core practices for our community in this time. And so if you were with us, you might remember two weeks ago, we talked about consecration, how Jesus called his disciples to go all in, to sell everything and to follow him and how we have to be all in with Jesus at all times and especially in this moment. And then last week, uh, Mother Janet talked about evangelism and about how um, Jesus is, is like a woman who lost a coin and goes searching and has joy when she finds that coin and how the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of joy and how there's so much joy and finding those who are lost. And so we partner with Jesus in this thing that he's done. He's gone searching. So we go with him searching and inviting others in. And then next week, we're going to talk about generosity. And generosity is a big part of this kind of kingdom living thing that we're doing. And generosity is going to be a big part of this next chapter and the life of our church. And this morning, you may have guessed it by my prayer, we're going to be talking about Prayer, and in particular, intercessory prayer. If we truly love people, writes Richard Foster, we will desire for them for more than it is within our power to give them. And this will lead us to prayer. Intercession is a way of loving others. The first thing I want you to know about intercessory prayer is that it's the natural result of loving people. And two, knowing your limitations, right? We can't do it all. And I would say three, believing in God's power and willingness to respond to prayer. Prayer is all about loving others. There's a story of a missionary to Tibet that sticks in my head. I've read the book. My dad would talk about this guy quite often. His name is Victor Plymeyer. He was a missionary to Tibet in the 30s and the 40s. And this is his story, is just one of the most hardcore missionary stories, you know. Like I'm sure some of these are familiar to you. He actually went over with his wife and his newborn baby. And before they could even leave for Tibet, while they were still in China. Uh, both the wife and the baby got sick and died, and so he buried them there in the ground. And then he goes to Tibet, and I, th- I think it's like six or seven years before he is able to even successfully share the faith, before anyone decides to follow Jesus. But this whole time, he's going around tirelessly uh, sharing the faith and-, and sharing the good news in Tibet. And after a while, he's getting some traction and he's got two helpers that are, that are traveling with him. And in prayer, he feels this confirmation that if he travels into the certain area with the certain tribal chief, that uh, that chief will indeed try to kill him. And so he felt as though he must go anyway into that territory. And so he traveled there. And of course, as you might expect, he was indeed arrested and uh, he was brought into a tent and there are these men kind of surrounding him with swords. And there's the chief there sitting on his chieftain chair. And they're kind of, I think, kneeling down, you know, kind of in submission in the situation. And then the other two Tibetan men that are kind of his guys that have been his friends, his companions, they speak on his behalf. They say, no, this is a good man. Like I was sick and I was dying and no one was helping me. This guy came along. I wouldn't even be alive today. And so we know he's a good man. And so you got to help him. And they're kind of, pleading his favor, but the chief doesn't care. And the chief condemns them all to death. And as they are being brought out of the tent on their way to their execution to be beheaded, a runner comes from afar. This runner was sent with a letter from the Dalai Lama. And the Dalai Lama said, I've heard there's a foreigner traveling among you. Why didn't you tell me? I want to meet this man and don't do anything to him. If you do anything to harm him, I'm going to kill you. And so, of course, against his will, the chief let Victor Plymeyer go. And then a few weeks, maybe months pass, I can't exactly remember, but Victor Plymeyer receives a letter from a woman in Olympia, Washington. And as you might guess, that letter said something like this. On such and such a date, I was awakened in my sleep, and I felt prompted by the Lord to pray. And I had a vision. And in that vision, I saw this tent, and there were these men with swords, and they were wearing this kind of animal skin clothing. And then I noticed that the men who were there on the ground, that one of them looked like the missionary that had come to our church to speak a few years back. And I began to pray and I said, God, I I, I don't remember this person's name, and felt prompted by the Holy Spirit, pray for Victor Plymeyer. His life is in danger. And so, of course, she prayed. And of course, the date that she had on the letter was the exact same date and time that the Lord had answered the prayer and Victor Plymeyer had gone free. The first quote I shared with you was to remind you that intercessory prayer is about love. The second story I shared with you is to remind you that intercessory prayer is weird, (laughs) but it works. It's weird and it works, right? Like, why does God actually need someone in Washington to pray for this person so that they become free? Why can't God just free the person, right? And it's kind of uh, an interesting story about prayer, but prayer somehow works And God invites us into this. He wants us to pray according to his will. And he invites us into that work. And we see this in the epistle text in 1 Timothy 2 this morning. We're going to be in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. When is the last time you urged someone to do something? Now, stop thinking about your kids. I wanna know, when is the last time you urged an adult or a group of adults to do something, right? Not something we do all the time, urge or employ someone into some activity. This is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy who is currently overseeing the church in Ephesus. He says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all goodness and holiness. Of course, it is the Apostle Paul who is doing the urging. And his urging has to do with the liturgy of the church in Ephesus. It's something that should should be happening when they gather to celebrate the Eucharist. Petitions, prayers, intercession... And thanksgiving. Now, we could sit here, as theologians have done for a very long time, and try to figure out what exactly Paul means by supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving. And if you read this, you know, you'll have theologians going back to at least the third, fourth century talking, you know. It's funny because they actually are Greek speaking, but they have different ideas about what exactly Paul means by these words. And if I were to take a stab at it, you know, I would say, okay, supplications or petitions. Um, This is a general word uh, that we, we normally use as petition in the prayers of the people, right? So each little line is a petition. And it's when we ask God to meet our needs or the needs of our community. And then prayer for me would be like a more general term that a lot of these other categories might fit into. And it might include a lot more, of course. And then intercession. Intercession is prayers prayed on behalf of others, and then there is thanksgiving, thanking God for all of his goodness to us in our creation and in our preservation and in our salvation. But really what I think Paul is getting at here is the word all. He wants the church at Ephesus to be praying all kinds of prayers for all people. It's a way of just naming a bunch of different types of prayers to say all the, all the types of prayers you know, I want you to pray all of those For all the people. And we aren't sure why, but it seems that the Ephesians had stopped praying certain kinds of prayers for certain kinds of people outside of their congregation. Perhaps it sounded like this We know God is saving us, and it seems obvious that God is not saving those people over there. And so we don't have to pray for them. Or maybe it sounded like, You know, the emperor, he's our pagan enemy and he does not want what is best for us. And so we are not going to pray for his well-being. Have you ever had to pray for the well-being of someone that you did not like? Have you ever asked God to bless someone that has wronged you? Friends, these are actually core Christian practices. For some reason, the Ephesians had left out certain types of people in the prayers of the people. And Paul is having to write and say, "Uh, No, I want you to go ahead and put those people back in the prayers. We got to add them back. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all goodness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior. Now, I might be reading from a little different translation than what's up there. I probably got the NIV. Maybe we got the NRSV up here. Um, Any difference is my own fault. But uh, I want to let you know about this text is written in Greek. And if you don't know, the ancient Greek text has zero punctuation. So there's no commas. There's no periods. There's actually no space between sentences. And if you don't know, commas and periods and space between sins is really helpful in communication, you know? Because there can be a lot of ambiguity. So people that are translating the Bible, they got to try to figure out, like, is this a part of that paragraph or is this a part of this one? Um, And of course, if they didn't have commas and periods, they also didn't have something that I really love or parentheses. Who here loves parentheses? I kind of overuse them. I got to admit, I'll be using them in text messages. I'm writing like a paper. I'm putting them all over the place. Um, I'm kind of into parentheses and I like to imagine that Paul probably, if he'd known about parentheses, he would have loved them. And that if he, if he had known about them, he would have put them around the end of verse two. I want Thanksgiving to be made for all people, parentheses, for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness, close parentheses. This is good and pleases God, our savior. The emphasis in this text isn't that the church needs to pray for rulers, political leaders, and those serving in the government. It's as if Paul is saying, yes, and while you're at it, of course, you must even pray for all kinds of people, even those in authority. Because if they rule justly and govern wisely, it allows us to live godly and holy lives, so pray for the pagan emperor. This does not actually validate the emperor's rule or in any way uh, validate the way he rules or his political platform. And it's the same for us too, right? We pray for the presidents and we pray for this president just like we prayed for the president before that president and going on back, on back up to King George. And then we just prayed on up from that one, right? on up to the Roman emperor. Like, it's been that long that we've been doing this. And we name them. And this is a way for us of praying for the well-being of the world. For praying for justice in the world. It won't be long, of course, before Paul will be killed by the very Roman authorities that he is saying, hey, you guys need to pray for. But he wouldn't walk it back. It turns out that that's what it means to follow Jesus. Following, in following Jesus, we pray for those who would imagine that the world is better off without people like us. Now, I've been talking already too long about this parenthetical statement. What I really want to talk to you in the focus on is, is that praying for all people and why we should pray for all people. The reason that I did want to take a little moment and and step out and talk to you about the parentheses is because we have had rulers in the course of human history and even puppet theologians that have tried to use verse like this to kind of prop up their regimes, right? They try to say, "Uh, you know, don't protest what we're doing over here. It's your job just to pray for us and to be quiet. And obviously, if you study the text, it's not what Paul is getting at, right? He's getting at, hey, we're praying for for the goodwill and, and for the flourishing of all of, of all people, even the leaders, uh, but he's not trying to write a blank check. So I just wanna take a moment out to say that. So let's get back into the why. Why must we pray for all people? I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Why? This is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus. He gave himself as a ransom for all people. So what does God want? He wants all people to come to the knowledge of truth, the knowledge of the gospel, the good news the saving truth about Jesus Christ. And Paul summarizes that good news for us in this line, right? For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. He gave himself as a ransom for our, our all people. You see, friends, in our sinful rejection of God, we lost our way. We needed supplication and intercession and prayer We needed connection with God, but there was no way for us. And there was no way to restore that connection that had been lost. We needed a mediator. And so God became man to restore the connection that was lost between God and man. And Christ Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all people, his life, for ours. The word ransom here is the same word that is used for God redeeming the Israelites out of Egypt. Christ gave himself as the payment to buy us out of slavery, to sin and death, that we might become his holy people. Friends, the message here in Timothy is pretty simple this morning. The what of the text is this that we should indeed make petitions and prayer and intercession and thanksgiving for all people. And the how of the text is the gospel. We pray in Jesus's name, the one and only mediator between God and man. And the why of the text is also the gospel. Why do we pray? We pray because God wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. And God is saving the world through Jesus Christ. This just happened to be the lectionary text of the day, but this is a critical theme for us in in this particular junction in the life of our church. As a church, we're stepping out in faith in in some pretty big ways. And when you step out in faith, there's a part that you have to do and there's also a part that only God can do. And it's that stepping out with God and that part that only he can do that, that requires in us a, a dependence upon prayer. And so I wanna call us to deepen our prayer life, both individually and corporately. We're re-gearing up for mission. We wanna see lives touch. We wanna see families transformed. People coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus, children growing in the ways of God, our city flourishing, our whole city, not just those of us at the top. In short, we want to see what Jesus called the greater things. And all of this can only be the result of prayer. There's actually nothing that we really want to accomplish as a church that can be accomplished without prayer. So I want to share with you a little bit about how we're organizing prayer in this moment, in this life of our church. Because actually all the things we've been talking about, we've got a very practical kind of structures that we're building out for it. So one, I want to remind you what we always have been doing. And that is the prayers of the people, right? Every... Sunday that we gather together, we are lifting up the church and the world to the Lord, right? And I just want to encourage you that that work is such, it's the most serious work that you're doing all week. When you're lifting up the world to God and you're saying, God, we want you to have mercy, have mercy on us, have mercy on our world, right? We're lifting up the poor, We're lifting up those on the margins. We're lifting up our government. We're lifting up our church and our leaders. It's the serious work of the church. And you guys engage in it every Sunday. And I just want to remind you, this is so crucial to what we're called to do as Christians. So on Sunday, we have the prayers of the people. Of course, the daily office, if you guys pray the offices um, during the week. And then two, we've started a monthly prayer meeting, which meets on 7 p.m., on the second Sunday of the month at our new location uh, on Pe- New Peachtree. And what are we doing there? Well, we're doing exactly what we read here in Paul. We've got petitions. So we're praying for the needs of our congregation, the needs of the people in our congregation. And especially we're praying for the big need we have right now, the, the funding of the build-out and, and how we're going to do it. So we got our petitions there. And then we also have our intercession. We're lifting up the needs of our neighbors and we're lifting up the neighboring communities around us. And as we do, we're also praying for their salvation, right? The greatest need any of us could ever have, that God would make his saving ways known among us, that the work of the gospel would grow. As Paul writes, that they would all come to the knowledge of the truth. So I wanna invite you to join us and take part in this work of intercession that we're doing um, once a month on the second Sunday. And then thirdly, uh, we've got a prayer leader appointed, so Esther Sumner. And Esther is working on organizing. We're hoping to send out a daily prayer prompt. This will be something you could opt into. We're we're looking at some technology, like maybe we could text people, we're not sure. But we would love to have like a daily prayer prompt uh, for those of us that want to pray together. And that prayer prompt would just remind us like a little way that we can lift up our community, where we can lift up our church as we kind of turn into this this new season in life. And so we want to use that as a way of daily reminder for us all to pray together. While I'm at it, I want to just name some some teams that are working in these three areas that, that we have named. So I've named Esther. She's going to be helping working to organize the prayer, uh, especially the, the daily prayer. And so I just say, if you've got a heart for that, um, if you've got ideas for, for prayer prompts or verses or anything like that, that you would want to share that excites you, talk to Esther. She, she would love some help with this. And then um, we've got our, Janet talked last week about evangelism or outreach. And so the Duques, Rudolph and Bailey are going to be helping lead our outreach team. So let me just name for you guys what all this encompasses, um, just so you'll know like who might want to help with what. Um, outreach is kind of, a, of a, a big tent thing that a lot of things goes in. Um, it means, of course, evangelism, sharing the good news about Jesus, right? Like We literally exist to announce the good news and share it with as many people as we can and invite people into that good news story that we're living into, right? So that's a big part of it. Like how do we do that in this context and, and what are the ways we invite people in? Part of it at this point, really, just kind of building out a new space and moving in there, part of it is, is really just invite, what you might call either PR or uh, marketing. It's basically, we wanna let folks know, hey, we're here. Like there's a new community starting up. What's this community like and, and why you might wanna be a part of it? So I just say if there's anybody here that's got kind of talents in those areas, maybe some professional experience and like, how to get the word out, like how to, how to talk about what we're doing for folks in the community, we wanna um, just have a good public face, right? Like we're gonna have a, a space right on New Petrie that folks can drive by, and we wanna let as many people know as we can, hey, we're here and why we're here. And then another part of that is is partnering with uh, the organizations we're already partnering or might wanna partner with that are doing work in our city and also just trying to discern what is our effort to serve our neighbors, whether that's tutoring or food pantry or whatever that might look like in our given context. So that's kind of a broad category of outreach. And I just say, if any of those things I named to you, you feel like, hey, that's something I want to help with, or I'd be willing to do some research, you know, like I will need someone just to like call the local principals and just say, hey, would you be interested in a church partner with you? Like maybe we can come paint your gym or something, right? Like maybe you could do that. Like that's a good team for you. And then, so we've got this kind of outreach team. And then um, finally, we've got our generosity team. And um, that team is, is led by Steve and Maria White. And um, we're going to start talking in October about our campaign. It's coming soon. But Steve and Maria and our consultant, Tom, and there's a whole team of folks that have been working on kind of building this up. And so I would just say, if you've got experience, maybe you have experience with capital campaigns or fundraising, some expertise from wherever, somewhere you've worked in the past, um, I encourage you to reach out to them. Um, these are the three things that we're kind of focused on, and we've kind of named them. as like, hey, we've got to succeed in prayer. We've got to succeed in outreach, and we've got to succeed in generosity if we're going to kind of make this work. And um, I just, if any of that spoke to you, I want to encourage you to, to consider it. What I want to point out in closing, is you think about generosity and you think about outreach. None of these really work without prayer. They're so dependent upon prayer. Without prayer, there's no way that we will accomplish the work. The work itself must be birthed in prayer. And so I wanna end the sermon with the same quote that we began with from Foster. If we truly love people, we will desire for them far more than what is within our power to give them. And this will lead us to prayer. Intercession is a way of loving others. God, grant us grace to love others well. Help us to grow as people that intercede for the life of the world. In the name of your son, the only mediator between God and man. Amen. I invite you into a time of silent reflection as we reflect on what the Spirit might be saying to us in this time.